When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Quick honorable mention, the 2013 Marcos Maidana-Adrian Broner brawl that, that aired on Showtime in one of boxing's best years in recent memory. Don't overlook this one. This was boxing Twitter's biggest win of all time because A.B. Adrian Broner was calling himself the next Floyd and was so flamboyant that people just, they wanted to see him get served. And Marcos Maidana turned out to be the perfect foil in San Antonio and dropped him twice early. And But then Broner didn't go away. And figured out after trying to quit midway through by following that he might be able to dig in and fight. And that was a great forgotten fight. And obviously the Israel Vasquez, Rafael Marquez trilogy, the third one coming in 2008, it could be in the top five of anybody's best list of the last 20 years. Luke and I went deep on these three fights. It's a four fight series, but it's the trilogy first that really matters um, for the morning combat pandemic Showtime classics that I think you can still find on YouTube right now. So uh, always a great trilogy. Brutal as shit. But in some ways, it's like they were almost too perfect for each other. Like there's so little contrast between them, like style wise or anything else that it's like it's it's a really great taste, but it's a lot of that taste. And it, it, it's classic, though. And if you're talking about sort of off the beaten path fights, 2006 had this French war between Mehar Manchapur and Samsak Chichawal. Yeah, that's a mouthful. It became the fighter of the fight of the year globally, and, and in part because uh, formerly of ESPN, Dan Rayfield really pushed it on a high level to get people to take notice. It's it's just a savage, savage twelve round war. Just two southpaws that in France, and they're just. I mean, it's just. It's insane. It's really insane. So check that out. Also, uh, in the top ten BC. Fights I was there list. Forgot about this one. It's got to be mentioned. The first Chocolatito, Sri Saket, Sorong Vasai fight. Madison Square Garden, co-main to Triple G versus Danny Jacobs. Bloody Chocolatito was the pound for pound king coming in in that perfect window. Floyd had gone away. Klitschko had lost. Uh, Andre Ward had just retired. There was an opening there. Chocolatito filled it on the back end of his career. And then this was a, a crazy war. So uh, check that shit out. You know I love Shane Mosley versus Oscar De La Hoya 1 from 2000. One of my favorite fights of all time. High-speed chess at its finest. All right, here we go. Ten fights for an MMA fan to cross over. You must see uh, boxing-wise to get a little taste of what we do here on this side. Number 10, it happened in 2008. In the welterweight division, Miguel Cotto, Antonio Margarito, part one. They were on a collision course to fight each other for a while. And this was really banging the drum to be like, Hard, you know, Cotto's a star, but this is like hardcore fight fans dream at the same time. Margarito from Mexico, and he's just like the he's the bad guy in the movie. He's just a motherfucker, you know what I mean? And he loves being that guy, but he'll take all the punishment you got. You have no idea how he can make weight in this weight class and just doesn't stop coming. And Cotto's the the unbeaten star, and and he's and he's a great boxer, but, you know, going to the body, going to the liver with the left hook. This is like when Cotto used to go after it. And Puerto Rico, Mexico, I mean, it had everything, right? 
And then the fight was unbelievable. And Cotto dominated the first half, but you're watching the, it's like you're watching the Titanic slowly sink. You're like, oh crap, Margarito's like, he's still coming. Like he's still coming. Is he going to break the will eventually? And eventually he does. And it's a great all-time great fight. But of course it's stained to a large degree by the fact that Antonio Margarito, you know, not too long after against Shane Mosley in that knockout loss was caught in the locker room beforehand with the plaster of Paris, with the loaded wraps, with the, you know, with the cement in his hands. And then you look back at Margarito's run to that point, you know, the Kerman Cintron fight and the, the, the punishment he took against Paul Williams, which was an amazing war. And you're like, man, you have loaded gloves in those two. And then you're like, oh, the Kodo beating he I mean, Kodo's face afterwards is a, it's a car wreck. I mean, it's, you know, that, that, that rivalry between them because of this, it fueled so perfectly into that rematch. And it, it was a Kodo win at Madison Square Garden, 2011. I was in the arena. It was incredible. It was just a scene, but you know, Margarito was a little washy by then, but this fight, if you can understand with the probability of the loaded gloves for Margarito, which, which it does change the way you watch it. It really does. But it's a great fight with a lot of that energy in the building in Las Vegas of like nation versus nation, man versus man. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's good shit. It's good shit. All right. Number nine is a is a classic middleweight championship out that feels like it, it could have come out of the 1940s. It happened in 2007. And it's the ghost Kelly Pavlik in part one of his two fight series against Jermaine Taylor. Um, Taylor was a middleweight champion of the world. You know, he had fought Bernard Hopkins twice and. And it was really damn good. And he was well-rounded and he hadn't yet, it hadn't yet fallen apart for him. And when it fell apart, it, it was, it was crazy, but he was still the guy. And Kelly Pavlik is this white dude with, with, with no hairline from Youngstown PA. And, and he's, you know, he's, M, he's MMA factory town tough. Like he's, he's factory. There's no question. I mean, he's hard scrabble as shit and he can punch. But as you're watching him each time, he's taking another step up. You're like, Okay, it's cool, but like he's going to get flattened at the highest level. Like you know, like you have sometimes with the white guy, you have that sort of built-in like oh, he ain't that good, right? And uh, this was the fight that you're probably going to find out that he ain't that good because he came in with so much fanfare and he got to this point. And you know, the fight before for Kelly Pavlik, he was in a, in a war. And and I mean, he, he took away. Edison Miranda and and he near was Kelly Pavlik was nearly the fight of the year during fighter of the year during the stretch, um. But he he's in fights, man. He gets hit. I mean, he's fight. He's a fighter. And Taylor gave it to Pavlik early and dropped him. And you're like, oh, the fight's over. I've seen this. And Steve Smoger had one of the all time great nights as a referee, a fight friendly referee, a fighter action fight friendly. Who's like, go ahead, you know. He lets it keep going. He's in there in the right situations. And Pavlik turns that corner. I believe this was in Atlantic City. And the crowd was going apeshit. And when Pavlik rallies to finish him late, it's just one of those like swings and momentum so perfectly painted that, you know, it's like a it's like an old time movie. It's like an old classic fight and the roar from the audience and the oh, God, he is for real. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit, this kid. It's one of those moments, you know, it catches you off guard. Uh, number eight, you know, one of the all-time great heavyweight slugfests of all time, heavyweight boxing title on the line. And it was this weird fight in 2003 that wasn't supposed to happen. It was Lennox Lewis, the last fight of his pro career. 
and he was gonna uh i got the, i got dead wrong for this when i referenced this a couple weeks ago was it kevin not kevin johnson who was the guy he was supposed to be fighting somebody else who you're like okay lennox lewis is gonna uh blow that guy away um and then that guy falls out and vitaly klitschko comes in at the last minute and this is before vitaly klitschko had permanently cemented his hall of fame all-time great resume and he had been a champion before and had but that loss he had to chris bird when people thought he quit because of an injury to his shoulder and people were like oh he's you know when it going gets tough against a non-puncher but a great fighter in chris bird but a non-puncher you're gonna quit by the way they would find out in the medical exam like years later when it went public that like he was that close to his like shoulder permanently falling off and and having to like probably be amputated like he was like it was one of the most disastrous physical injuries inside the ring and so Vitaly Klitschko had like something to prove only he's like crazy mayor of uh Kiev like he is today saying I'll go to the front lines of the roar against the Russians if I have to like he went after Lennox Lewis and it was like a Lennox Lewis who was like the, the tail end of Lennox Lewis's career there was always that little fear or te- Lennox Lewis's chin by the way Got knocked out twice, but came back to to knock out in the rematch both of those guys, and those are the only two he ever lost to. So Lennox Lewis is one of those rare all-time great fighters that says, I beat everybody I stepped into the ring with. But because he had been stopped twice, there was always a little bit of fear that, like, okay, maybe that chin isn't isn't great and you can get to it. We've seen it twice. And there was also that fear that, like, the tail end of his career is he trying his hard. He had filmed that Ocean's Eleven movie or whatever, and and didn't wasn't fully trained coming into the uh, Hasim Rahman first fight, and he got stopped in South Africa, and it was you know this wild upset. And he got him back, and he got him back. By the way, if you haven't seen Lennox Lewis's knockout of Hasim Rahman in the rematch, he got him back in like the most vicious fuck you way ever. I mean that's just not like laid him out. But there was like that fear of like, well, what if he doesn't show up tonight, and like fully, what if he's not motivated, dude? Klitschko wanted to prove that he was like the most grimiest assassin of all time. And he put on a pace on Lennox Lewis in the first half of this fight. I think it only went six rounds in the end. He put a pace on Lennox Lewis. That was like, I'm going to find out right now if I could be the heavyweight champion. And you're all going to find out that my balls are made of brass and I would never quit in a fight. And I'm going to show you who I am right now. And you could tell Lennox, like, you know, it was like, Oh, nobody told me this wasn't an exhibition. I mean, he had that like, Oh shit, I got to fight my way out of this. Now to Lennox's credit, fought his way out of it the best he could. Now, like there's times you can watch that fight and almost support Larry Merchant's sort of like jabs. He was throwing at Lennox in the post-fight interview of like, Hey, you're kind of lucky the fight got stopped. Right. And then, but then there's also times you can go back and go, nah, dude, Lennox adjusted and put it on this guy. Either way, Lennox put it on this guy so much that Vitaly's face was falling off. It was falling off. I mean, it was just disgusting and they, they stop it and he goes nuts and he's all pissed off. But the pace of that war for two, not only elite heavyweights, you know, hall of fame to like almost like almost top 10 have you, I mean, Vitaly's probably not top 10, but like, he's right there. Right. I mean, th- these are to just go at it at this. I mean, it's a, it's a sick fight and you wanted a rematch and Lennox Lewis waited a year and then retired. And not, you know, I don't <laughs> never ended up getting the rematch or, you know, Lennox never fought um, Vlad Klitschko, his brother, uh, except for in that oceans 11 thing that they filmed. Um, yeah, it's it, we we called it the last great heavyweight fight for a long time until really we finally got AJ Anthony Joshua against Klitschko in 2017, and and then since then we've had Wilder Fury three, but uh, classic. 
Uh, number seven is it's just it's just a joy to watch this slugfest. Two thousand um, junior middleweight unification. Felix Trinidad unbeaten from Puerto Rico against unbeaten Fernando Vargas representing Mexico and just a young, brash, badass in Vargas who just is like, you know, I'm 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 coming on. Like, I mean, he's fucking coming on, bro. He's coming on every second of his career for the most part, but especially before that first loss. And the fight was so huge. I mean, it was a monster pay-per-view for non-heavyweights and it right off the start just delivered and they both get knocked down and, you know, Vargas, as he also did in his knockout loss to Oscar De La Hoya a few years later, um, you know, when he would lose at the highest level, he'd lose spectacularly. You know, he'd have his moments, but he would, he, um, he, <laughs> he took a beating to end this fight and it's a war and it's crazy. It's got one of the best intros ever when uh, Vargas is dressed like an Aztec warrior and there's this fake mountain of like boxes and he's, you know, like a temple and he just kicks it over. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's wacky and it's awesome. And the, and it's Trinidad surviving the storm and showing exactly who, who the hell he is. And you can always look back on Fernando Vargas who ended up having a, you know, a very great career, but you're like, man, was it too much too soon? Could he have been, could he have sustained it better and been better, you know, uh, taking his foot off the gas just a little, either way, he made amazing, great fights. Number six on this list of, you know, MMA fans guide to, to which boxing fights they should watch. You talk about a great trilogy in the, the two, middle 2000s. It's Manny Pacquiao versus Eric Morales, but it's the first chapter of that. Um, I got serious, serious back into boxing in 2004. I had still been watching the big fights, but I had taken a few years off of, of, of hardcore level for sure. And... I mean, the NBA is on fire, you know, of course, in the late nineties before that we all had a run in pro wrestling, you know, everybody did it in, in, but I came back because I started sparring in late 2004 and, you know, you get, get knocked around and, 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 you know, re and learning the, the craft of it for the first time. And my hunger for rewatching old fights just became out of this world. I mean, that was, that's the pre YouTube last chance for if you can convert all these to VHS and sell them online, you can make good money. And there are people charging a lot of money for these fights. And I'm just buying people's whole career collections. And then I'm like, okay, I'm getting so hardcore into this. What's the next big fight? Cause I got to get myself fired up. And I remember talking to this uh, tape collector guy in Mexico, in uh, California, I'm sorry, up a Mexican guy. And, and he was a huge Eric Morales fan. And he's like, dude, Eric Morales is fighting Manny Pacquiao at 130 pounds. Pacquiao's moving up in weight. It's like, this is the fight. This is the one. This is the one that we're all been waiting for. All of the hardcore fans. Like, this is the fight. And, you know, Pacquiao had blown away Marco Antonio Barrera in, in uh, San Antonio and been like, you know, tell me how my ass tastes, basically, to the boxing world. We're like, oh, my God. You know, he's moving up in weight. And, you know, Morales had been through the trilogy with Marco Antonio Barrera, and he had lost the last two fights in that trilogy. And, and it, he wasn't washed, but you're still like... Is he going to be set up to be blown away by this hurricane forced win that is Manny Pacquiao in the small weight classes? And this is just prime Pacquiao finally figuring out what to do with his right hand. Remember, the, you know, for a while it was he's got this right hook. It's his secret. It's called Manila Ice. And and it took him a while to become a two handed fighter. But this is when he's putting it together. And this is 12 of my favorite rounds in boxing history. Eric Morales gets a close 
decision win in the end because he cut Pacquiao and Pacquiao in his early half of his career did, didn't like that. He's, he did. He was a different fighter when he was cut and hurt. And this is like the perfect setup for Eric Morales, who, who I think is the all is the he's my favorite badass in boxing history. I mean, he's my campion. That's why anyone who used to listen to my boxing podcast on CBS Sports knows how I would campion my heroes in Las Vegas when I'm drunk and off the clock at, at big time fights with my, you know, uh, media friends. And it's just like, oh, I love that guy. I, let's go up to him. Let's accost him. Let's tell him that, you know, he had no business getting up from from that. You know, I'd be like, you had no business fighting Maidana with your eye closed. You know, what, the wavos you got, it's just, it's humbling, you know? And I've done that to a few of my heroes, you know? Uh, Casamayor, Joel Casamayor did that to him too. Uh, I've can't be owned a few of them. There's a reason why, because Eric Morales is a badass. And when you hit him, he's the best I've ever seen at the elite level of boxing or MMA, where he gets so hurt and offended. And you can see the emotion in his face that you landed such a big shot. He's like, oh no, I'm, and he comes just like drops everything and comes back and just instantly lands big shots in return. And there's a sequence in this first round, Pacquiao against Morales. That's just beautiful to watch of exactly that happening. A great fight, but this fight, what makes this all time great and what makes the, Hey, Morales is a badass thing real. Why you would want to drunkenly accost him in public to celebrate the size of this man's wavos is in the 12th round, Morales turns southpaw for no other reason than because he's a badass and went to war with Pacquiao, standing both in the center of the ring and not moving and just throwing bombs. And Morales got lit up. Like, he got lit up. And you're like, oh, my God, he's going to get knocked out. And he survived it and, and fired back, too, and and get, gets the close decision win. And you're just like, oh, my God, this guy's such a badass. And then in the after, in the interview afterwards with Larry Merchant through the translator, he's like, you know, did you like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, Larry, you know, because this is what I do. You know what I mean? Um, he would go on to the, the trilogy is great to rewatch. The second fight was a it's it was on the way to being a classic win. And then the third fight is most known for the fact that Morales got steamrolled, and he kind of had a no mas moment. He got dropped for like the third time, and he sat up against the ropes, and he's just like. Referee was like, "You getting up?" He's just like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good." You know, it's like, it's like I'm I'm too smart to take this beating moving forward. This guy's got my number. But the first fight, Morales taking a stand. We should get some beers together and watch that together. I mean, that'd be great. Uh, number five on this list. Could you could you not go wrong in the Eric Morales Marco Antonio Barrera all Mexican all man rivalry in the lower weight classes? Uh, the first one in 2000 is my favorite, and and. So just so people know, uh, the rematch was great. Trilogies often do have like a stinker in, of one of the three where it's just not a great fighter, not action. The second one is this. It was very boxing. And, you know, Barrera made the adjustments and it was very boxing heavy. The third one in 2004 is just, hey, we might as well meet a third time and just brawl. And it was great. But the purity of this first one, I mean, these guys like had brawled at press conferences before the fight. Like these guys hated each other. And it's like. The badass like villain at the end of the movie, Morales, just putting his, you know, testosterone up there. And Barrera's like they call him the babyface assassin, but he's he's the guy who like he'll he can brawl with you, but he, he kind of wants to be a boxer and he should be a boxer. It's smarter for him. And the reason why this this matchup between these two was so great is Morales would lure him into a war. And sometimes Barrera would lure Morales into a war to try to counter him. And and they're just 
they would have it's it's akin to listening to either jazz or like you know jam band rock and roll which of course is you know influenced in a lot of ways by the free form improvisation of of jazz but in those great jams you know whether you listen to fish in in the dead or or, or you're listening to you know miles davis and by the way oh god on the corner by miles davis I don't talk a lot about Miles Davis because I'm trying to do it right. I'm trying to take my time. I'm trying to really, really, you know, I want to speak out of turn. And, you know, I'm really, you know, if you're coming on, I'm, I'm coming on, Miles. Um, damn, that, that, that blend of, of funk and rock fusion is insane. But there's moments in those jams, obviously, where, you know, Fish does a great job of peeking, you know, Almond Brothers as well, where they just, they're out of control. They're just, just it's beautiful. It's another world level. Morales and Barrera would have those same sequences of just pure just fury and it's just a sight to behold and it's beautiful and the spite they had for each other in the ring it's it was like that special sauce on top so the first one's from 2000 you you'll love it you'll love boxing you'll love mexico you'll love everything about it uh number four is the greatest example of a rocky movie fight actually playing out at the highest level at somewhat highest level and um, I cannot believe if you haven't seen Timothy Bradley Jr. versus Rusan Provodnikov from 2013, I mean, really drop everything and just go find that, find the footage because it, it was supposed to be Tim Bradley, the great champion and, you know, trilogy with Manny Pacquiao. And, and it, it was supposed to be him like blowing away this contender, but like attraction in Ruslan Provodnikov. He's a brawler. He comes head on. But Bradley's going to blow him away. And Bradley had so much motivation to, like, say F you to boxing. Because he goes in there and fights Manny Pacquiao in the first fight. And he fights through two serious injuries, like, you know, ankle and his leg. And he wins this very controversial decision. And, you know, he didn't score it that way. The judges did, right? But he fought his ass off. So, of course, he's like, well, man, you know, no, I... I you know, I'm not going to apologize for getting the win here. And the the boxing public just like villainized him. And he took that shit to heart. <laughs> and he was of a mindset that like he told his dad, his trainer, who's a trip. If you ever watch the, uh, you know, the pre-fight documentary stuff, it's just a, I mean, his dad just questions his son's manhood constantly. And he's like, well, what's that? What's that smell? Is that pussy? And you know, just a, you know, just ridiculous things. Um, you know, he told his dad before, I'm gonna kill this kid, meaning Ruslan Provodnikov. You know, I'm gonna shut everybody up. Those are the best ever setups for like great fights for somebody in the NBA scoring, you know, 50 in like an FU game. Um, but unboxing is pretty damn violent when it's fueled by that kind of spite. And Bradley just went in there was like you know i'm just gonna blow this guy away and that's what ruslan provodnikov welcomes that's the spider web but there's no like tricks he's not like he's just sitting here saying dude come and get it like i'm gonna go life or death with you and these two went life or death with each other and bradley got knocked the hell around and kept getting back up and you know there's some rounds that he's actually boxing from distance which is what he's supposed to do and then the next round just gets monstrously concussed again and he's fighting when he should be holding. And it's just a example of, I don't even want to say the human spirit. Like Juliana Pena upsetting Amanda Nunes is like the human spirit coming through. I mean, 
this is just like the human will. This is just two stubborn people just saying like in Provodnikov's face is a mess, but he's still coming on and there's questionable scoring on the ruling of a knockdown and Bradley ends up winning a very close decision. A lot of people saw it the other way and Bradley to his credit would springboard from this fight, go fight Juan Manuel Marquez on pay-per-view right after Marquez knocked Pacquiao out cold and like outbox him in a thriller, uh, just a great tactical technical fight. Um, but he, he, some people think he got a gift here and I think I scored it a draw and I didn't hate the judges giving it to Bradley. Although, you know, the scores were a little, little funky in some ways, but, uh, the, the punishment Bradley took, I mean, he got, like, he was effed up after this fight physically, you know, like deep concussions and, and react, you know, like long. I remember he was, he did an interview with Max Kellerman on like LA ESPN radio after that fight. And he was like telling Max, he's like, you know, I told my dad, this is your fault. You created this killer with no off switch. This is your fault. And he's like, you know, I was in like dark, dark places, you know, physically and mentally after that that fight and uh just a psycho this guy's just a psychopath that's why i love timothy bradley jr so much by the way he's a great commentator and he's a great guy to interview always has been always been an all interview team because he just tells the truth with passion but uh you talk about the human will and the human sp- i mean this guy like the, he had to go to a it wasn't just hell right it was like okay i'm in hell i, I gotta see the back room you know let's see the pipes of this place uh unbelievable i'm humbled even telling you about this fight if there's anyone still watching right now i'm humbled to tell you how great that fight is number three on this list is uh you know it 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 might be the greatest like sometimes you know usually in boxing like some fights are meant to be great fights but it's like action fighter versus action fighter what we love the best is when a great fight between pound for pound greats and all-time greats in this case turns into that great all-time action fight in like Turning into that is a great ending, right? We love it when they turn into action fights, but sometimes it's got to be technical and tactical for a while. No, this was Manny Pacquiao versus Juan Manuel Marquez part four. And this turned out to be one of the greatest fights in boxing. One of my favorite fights, one of the most emotional fights. They're, they're both still, they're old. And this is the fourth time they're fighting. And let's not forget there was customer fatigue, like a lot of it of people saying, I don't need to see this matchup again. I saw the first three, and most people thought Marquez got a raw deal on most of the scorecards. Marquez never thought he lost any of the four, by the way. He's probably never thought he lost a fight in his life. Um, he's, you know, notoriously stubborn in that regard. But the, the these guys were at the end of their careers, but Marquez was going through his, is he on roids or is he just drinking jet fuel period where he bulked up to welterweight and is just suddenly this force and he's old too, but yet they're still like two and three in the pound for pound top 10. And they're both future hall of famers. And this is their fourth meeting, but we all kind of came in there going, okay, it'll be fun. Right. The third one was like a thriller when Manny made that comeback to force, you know, the close scorecards. And you know, the first two were just incredible for so many great dramatic reasons. I thought the fourth one was going to kind of stink, but just be fun. Cause it's them and they're old. I didn't expect like a, blood and guts almost Barrero Morales fuck you type pace to this fight of just like I hate you I'm coming after you and this is like street fight rules right this is like Rocky 5 when Rocky took Tommy Moore Tommy Gunn to, to the to the to the alley you know you oh, oh you push around Paulie won't you try knocking me down as my dad would say endlessly after that after we saw Rocky 5 that that shitter in the theater um this was incredible 
Pacquiao gets straight up dropped early. And you're like, oh, and he got, the it was a looping right hand and Pacquiao went down hard. And you're like, oh shit, I don't think I've ever seen Pacquiao knocked down before, actually. And you know what? Pacquiao's such, he's, he, he's such a force. I don't really think I've ever seen him like crazy hurt. Like I saw him bleeding against Morales. I saw him in, you know, certain shootouts against Marquez, but like never hurt like that. And they, and you had Marquez just fighting like, like you stole everything I worked for in my life. And I am here at the end of this action movie to gain my revenge because, you know, it was the all time greatest revenge when Marquez legitimately feels like he was screwed on the scorecards against the more marketable fighter at every fight, every single fight, including the first one when he got knocked down three times in the first round and yet still forced a draw because he came back and he's like, just the demeanor of I'm going to kill you. But then Pacquiao puts it on him in this rally. And it's like old Pacquiao again. It's like the, the Pacquiao who used to womanize and gamble and like that Pacquiao, the no fear, like trunks, uh, dyed hair with the blonde bristles, that Manny Pacquiao, you know, that guy, he was back that night. And that's what led to him getting knocked the hell out in the most vicious manner ever. But how sweet is this for Marquez? Who's basically like, I'm going to take out all my anger of how my career went on you right now. And he is almost stopped the round before the knockout happens. His nose is, is a broken bloody mess and he's getting battered. And he's walking through him, but he's getting, there's a price he's paying for it. You know, and then he uncorks the, the deadliest counter shot of all time with that right hand that flatlines Manny Pacquiao to a level that it is not hyperbole. And I'm doing, I think I, I was doing a live blog on ESPN.com at the time doing like constant play-by-play -play typing it. Um, and so I'm watching this and I'm in this fight, right? And I'm, and I'm going, I'm texting everybody in between going, how sick is this fight? There's a war. And then it's over. And it's over in the most thuddingly violent emphatic way ever that for the 55 seconds that Manny Pacquiao was down out cold and not moving before they revived him during that 55 seconds they're showing his wife screaming crying climbing up the apron they're showing Bob Arum trying to comfort her but looking in his face like like his son was just murdered or something you know they massacred my boy I mean like he had that face and you thought Manny Pacquiao was dead no one talks about that enough like you know, you no, no, you you're like no, he's he's dead. Like that's the most. I mean, for that to happen in the in the fourth, you know, that's the greatest rivalry of the modern era, without question. And it was already going to be one of the best, but to have that as your send off, and in morale and sorry, Marquez, you know, blood everywhere, jump up on the corner turnbuckles, and the Mexican fans going sick in Las Vegas. You know, I, I remember um, doing that live blog and Karen Mulvaney, who's co-host of the Showtime Boxing uh, Podcast right now with Eric Raskin. And, and I love Karen. I've been up and down the road with him forever. Been his editor a lot of times, all that stuff. He was ringside. And when Pacquiao's down for 55 seconds, when you're doing a live blog like I was for ESPN, you got to constantly pump that thing with what you're seeing and everything. I mean, you're, you're, you're telling the story for those that didn't buy it, right? I didn't type anything for like a 90 seconds, two minutes. Cause my jaw was like down to here. But as soon as I wrapped up what I was doing and, you know, put up the story that, that or just whatever I had to do as an editor, um, I text Mulvaney and, and I, and I think he texted me and he was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just witnessed that. And I tech and, and I was just like, 
I think I was like, tell me what it felt like. Tell me what it smelled like. Like, tell me what it tasted like. Like, you just experienced, like, you were in the movie, you know? And he goes, hey, do you mind if I call you right now? And, like, I'm in the first floor of the house. I'm renting. My kids are small and upstairs sleeping. My wife's sleeping. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, dude, call me right now. And we proceeded, like, giddy schoolgirls to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just watched that. Oh, my God. And, and. I'm sure I just screamed in the microphone and woke a lot of you up, but like that's as amazing as this sport can get when it's got the storyline, you know, the fourth fight of the rivalry and they hate the shit out of each other. And, and the guy that got screwed throughout is able to land the final blow and just be like, yeah. And, you know, and there's questions if he's on the stuff and, in uh, I can't believe Pacquiao rebounded from that and was, you know, still the fighter that he was the rest of his career and might still be. I do think he's coming back, by the way. I do. Um, but, you know, not 80% of fighters who would take that kind of knockout loss at that age that Pacquiao did, they may never, they're not fighting again. Like, that's the end of your career. That's the end of, that's the ex extinguishing of all that invincibility that allows you to believe you can do this at this level. You know, and, and I mean, it was, it was out and credit to Pacquiao on the post-fight interviews after they rewoke him and he's calming down his family, but like, damn, damn, that, that there's, there's not, you can't like you, I don't feel that watching the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And I've, I've been a, I, I've been a monstrous sports fan my whole life in every sport. And, you know, and I've worked the front page of ESPN.com and you know, where you're, you gotta know everything and every, I mean, I've, I've lived this and you know, I've been a part of some great moments watching as a fan, like you have, you know, like Landon Donovan scoring that goal in the world cup. And like, you know, that kind of like, I've seen some fun ass stuff, you know, NBA moments that are just Shakespearean. Nothing ever made me feel like Pacquiao Marcus four and like the, forget one hour afterwards, like the next day, like that's just like, that's real life. I mean, that is wow. I, ho I mean, hope I hope you feel like that after watching the MK documentaries. I doubt it. I hope that's my you know that's my working plan and my goal. All right. Um, number one and two are you, you pick your 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 flavor, whichever one you like better. One's definitely better than two in terms of better fights, but these are the two defining, not defining rivalries. Although Mickey Ward versus Arturo Gatti was a great rivalry and, and is one of the best rivalries, but these two were like. I mean, these are fights that brought people back as boxing fans again, these two. These are fights that, in some ways, like, how does it, like, I say this sometimes, I say this once in a while, like, I don't know any real boxing fans in my day-to-day -day life for the most part, a couple of dads around town that know a little bit, and we have some nice talks and all that, and that's fun, and I treasure that. But, like, you know, I'm talking to my brethren in this game, the other journalists, you know, the Rafe Bartholomews, or the, you know, great fans that I've come to meet, and even getting, like, DM or text relationships with because you're just super fight fans, right? And um, these are like, these are the type of fights that build the resolve in you as an addicted super fan to put up with all the ridiculousness that this sport makes you financially, uh, in terms of your patience, in terms of, you know, everything. It's fights like these two, one and two, that, I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's the hag, they're hag, what is Hagler Hearns to a generation of people? You know, everything, rightfully so. You know, it almost defines the, the reason why you watch and the feeling that it gives you. 
And number two, it's my favorite fight of all time. It's the first Mickey Ward Arturo Gotti fight, 2002. Their trilogy is insane. Shout out to HBO. Their their documentary about that trilogy is also very well done. Um, but they're like they're paired together as sort of two journeyman action fighters on the way out who, hey, wouldn't it be great if these two ever fought? So, hey, let's just do it now, and they'll both get a good payday out of it. And yeah, and obviously, Gotti had a brighter ceiling at that time and was still, you know, and largely in title contention. Gotti would have, Arturo Gotti was, um, I mean, he lived, like, talk about living your life quarter mile at a time, like, fast and furious. Like, that was his life, dude. I mean, I actually just recently talked to somebody who had, who had partied with him, and uh, it was an MK fan, and I was talking to who 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 was in that close to that circle at one time and he's like dude nobody went harder than Arturo. like it's not even like nobody went that hard you know what i mean and i mean look he lived fast he died hard and it's how he died is just you know it's it's unsolved to say the least and still just ridiculously sad but he had a brighter ceiling to still be a title contender but he would have so many highs and lows and dips and partying too much and injuries like he would he would crash and burn a lot in his career where you'd stop taking him seriously as a like legitimate fighter, like title contending one, and just attraction, a guy who had authored some of the most absurd come from behind all action, blood and guts wins in this history to the point where like Arturo Gotti became one of those weird, rare franchises where he had his own fans and they followed him wherever. And when he, you know, they rightfully would gave him a home there at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. And it was like a rock concert when he fought, and, you know, and coming out to Thunderstruck by, you know, ACDC is just like the, you know, it's just, a, it's the chef's kiss. It's perfect. And, you know, he, he lived up to that reputation time and again, but he's fighting old ass Mickey Ward here who, you know, like tried his best to become a real title contender, but never quite got there. Like, you know, had some bit, the Shay Neri win. I love it. They built a, the, the Mark Wahlberg movie, the fighter was really built around the, the run Mickey had against all odds to even get in that Shay Neri fight, which was for like a, ibu title like one of those not real titles but like whatever um but mickey had been the all-action b-side guy you know and 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 he'd had great come from behind wins but and he's had great action fights god the emmanuel augustus fight emmanuel burton augustus god that's a great fight um but when you put these two together <laughs> and said use you know use your powers you know like you've met your equal that's what they both said i want to meet my equal ahead of this fight you know they, they met their equal there's a reason why these guys became brothers after this trilogy to the point where Ward was started training Gotti for those last couple of fights of his career. Um, it's, it's almost spiritual, this fight. It's weird to say that, but like in it, it the reason why I put Corrales Castillo ahead of it is because, uh, and you have to put it historically too. This fight wasn't for a title. It was just for like, you know, action fighter payday, but it took a while to kind of get serious, you know, it took a couple rounds feeling you out, but when it turned, I mean, it's got it's got the round is it round nine my favorite round in boxing history. I mean, it's got one of the most insane rounds of all time. Really, the most insane like couple round package of like seven, eight, nine, ten in a row. Um, it's you know I could sit here for an hour and tell you how why that fight is so great, but I think ultimately the reason why it's it it clings to people, certain boxing fans' hearts more than Corrales Castillo is the human emotion that was shown by both in it in in overcoming so much. And the same thing happened in Kraus Castillo, no question, but like Gotti making that like grimace when he got dropped by that body shot and 
He had no freaking business getting up from that body shot. Mickey Ward knocked out so many. Mickey Ward had that out pitch. He had the you know fork ball that no the cutter. Say it, Mariano, the cutter. He had the damn cutter that you couldn't hit, and you know you couldn't stop. He'll find a way to get that left hook to your liver, and he'll stop you. And he hit Arturo Gotti with one of those, and Gotti's like trying like hell to be like, nope, I'm 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 the biggest badass you ever met, man. I fight through this shit, and he's like, and it's not letting him, and he finally gets to his feet and. You know, the beating he takes after that, like, thank God Frank Cappuccino was so stubborn and old as a legendary referee at that point that he's just like, you know, because Jim Lampley, the famous, you know, announcer was, was yelling into the mic, you know, you got to stop this fight, Frank, you know, stop this fight. You can stop at any time. And, uh, you know, seeing him overcome that and then flip it back on Mickey Ward. And that's the same thing of what made the first Riddick Bowie Vander Holyfield fight so great in that incredible round 10 is because it had that same thing where somebody's on the verge of this dominant stoppage and then it turns in a Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin type way and it turns fast and quick. And um, the back and forth of the final two and a half rounds here is just savage. And, you know, their whole trilogy was the second one's the stinker of the three. I have a soft spot for it. The third round is is among the best rounds of the rivalry between these two, but it was one-sided. Gotti boxed like he always should against this guy. Uh, the third one's wild, man. You know, Gotti uh, building a big league, but then hurting his hand, and he can't throw his right hand suddenly, and then he gets dropped, and and that's a wild-ass fight. Uh, Gotti wins it, and he was the fresher fighter, but they put their they put themselves through like life-altering hell with these 30 rounds, and the first one is just an emotional journey that, you know, you're not going to find, forget sports, you're going to find it in life. Really, it's just, it's, it's an incredible ride to get there. Uh, the final one, number one, you know, it's not out of line to call this the greatest fight in boxing history. And the, like the old, like the real old timers really tried to like not do that after it happened and be like, okay, it's among that. It's all time great, but like, hold on, let's, I mean, is it really the best of all time? It might be the best of all. It's the best of this era, like with a bullet and it's 2005. It's at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And it's a lightweight title unification, Diego Corrales against Jorge Luis Castillo. Um, there's not enough amazing things. And it was just, re, you know, what was it? Two years ago was the anniversary of this fight. What was it? 15-year uh, anniversary, I'm, I'm guessing, 2005 to 2020. And, you know, we did a bunch of morning combat was around. We did a few fun interviews online. I think I interviewed uh, the referee, Tony Weeks. I interviewed Joe Goosen, who was famously in, with the with the awesome dress shirt, like he's going out to rock the clubs in the corner of Diego Corrales, you know, and he delivered one of the all-time greatest lines by a trainer ever of better fucking get inside on him now, like, like a disappointed dad, which fueled, you know, one of the, maybe the greatest comeback in a boxing match of all time when, when Diego Corrales turned the table. But um, I got a chance to talk to those guys about it. And I wrote a oral history that if you got time, search uh, CBS sports from a couple years ago, the oral history of Corrales Castillo one talked to, a lot of people who were there and uh man that's a why couldn't i have seen the future and got a flight to go to that fight so there was only like four thousand people in the crowd for that fight and it was on showtime but it was expected by everybody to be like i talked about like when ward and Gotti got together you're like okay this is an important fight title unification but like the way these guys are wired and the way that they're giving interviews, like they're going to, they're willing to die. And they're like, they're, they're good. They are ready for the war of their lifetime. And it absolutely turned into that and more. And unlike Gotti Ward, which had a couple, you know, slow rounds to set things up. This off the start is just electric. And it's just both 
standing in the center of the ring and, and it's not the, what makes it great is it's not sloppy it's not just some sloppy brawl people try to say you know mickey ward arturo Gotti was just a sloppy brawl yeah, there's a lot of sloppy there's a lot of great sloppiness in there it was also you know they, they could box too but this one corrales castillo is is really at a higher level they are at, both executing their offensive plan almost to perfection against one another they're making defensive counters and adjustments so it's not sloppy and out of control but they're having great success with with what they're trying to do when they sort of take turns taking the lead. And the brutality of the body shots and the damage that they're accepting, that they're willingly accepting to take to not give up that real estate. You know, like, like I love football. I played like I played one year of organized football. And I'm glad I did it, you know, because I was I was not I was not tough enough to be like a you know high school football player looking back. Uh but playing one, you know, getting knocked around, playing one one year. You, know, you have a certain respect for it, certainly that you wouldn't have had. And but we all watch football in different ways, betting perspective, fantasy, or just love our favorite team so much. And and um, but like you talk to the hardcores, the coaches, the high school coaches. I used to interview a million high school coaches, and they just love the battle that ha- happens at that line of scrimmage. And I there's one coach I used to always interview. He's a elite high school coach, had a great program, but he's the worst interview because every single time he would say. You know what's what's I asked what the key to the game coming up is. You know wh- whoever blocks and tackles better at the line. It's going to be our five against theirs and blah blah blah. And you know and the the ones that get it, the ones that lived it, know that football to them feels like a you know an alternate reality of war and you know the line and setting up and in in theory in a running based attack. Yes, of course. These guys, Corrales and Castillo, were trying. We're 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 f- concocting that same battle in such a tiny little phone booth. And we're just not willing to get off that line and take a back step. And the fact that it never sort of like turned into a wild brawl and stayed a very high level action fight kind of filled in any gap. It, it would have had in an argument of not being this great. It was perfect. It had the perfect ending it had the perfect characters. It had Castillo just not just being a badass. And there was waves of momentum. And at the end of the first round, Al Bernstein at Showtime is just like, this is like an all-time great fight, like already. Like this is just ridiculous. There's so many great calls that he and Steve Albert had during that fight, and uh, just Corrales' comeback is just you, you rewatch it. Like I, I'm a Mets fan. I'm not a hardcore baseball fan anymore, uh, but you know I was in the '90s, 2000s, the '80s, of course. Um, but you know, there's a there's a thing that if I see a video of like, you know, the Buckner play and. Right night rounding third and the Mets win it. You know, you almost get emotional. You know, it's like that's my team. That's my team. I remember that. And um, it's like that watching Diego Corrales's comeback here. Even if you have no connection to Diego Corrales at all, like it's just, it's, it's what's possible when you don't give up, right? And it, it, it's. I mean, he spit out the mouthpiece to lose the point, but by time, how ingenious in that moment something he had just learned the fight before or you know a couple fights before against uh against Popo Freitas Asselino Freitas when he when he went in there and won that title to really kind of set up the need for this fight and it's Joe Goosen yelling at him wearing that shirt and it's the moment of like oh my god he came back from being down 35 to nothing at the start of the fourth quarter like he actually did this damn those are the 10 fights that move me, that I think will move you too. Enjoy. All right, I guess we've hit the two.